Welcome to Beneath the Skin, the podcast about the history of everything told through the history of tattoos. My name's Dr. Matt Lodder. Um, I'm here again on my own this week. Thomas is traveling uh, back home to his parents uh, in Ireland for Christmas. So you've got me uh, again as a solo episode. And um, yeah, uh, my name's Dr. Matt Lodder. If it's your first time listening, <laughs> I'm a tattoo historian, uh, author, curator um, and tattoo collector and um, for this kind of solo episode today I um, I wanted to talk to you about something because I had a, a phone call uh, from a journalist writing for a newspaper um, in Europe who wanted to ask me about the uh, pigment ban so for those of you who don't know uh, in 2022 or actually in 2021, um, coming into force in 2022, the European Union banned a whole range of um, particular substances from being used in tattoo inks um, you know, as, as, pig, as pigments. And um, that's been kind of grandfathered in that law, um, whereas you basically couldn't buy those inks uh, for the last year. They were immediately removed from sale. But as of the first, I think the 4th of January, actually, technically 2023, um, it's going to be across the European Union uh, illegal to have those pigments in your shop, even basically. Um, and the UK government has, you know, after Brexit, we are no longer bound by EU rules. But um, there was a lot of talk about grandfathering these rules in. A lot of European safety standards are being grandfathered into UK law. The UK actually had a separate consultation on this. Um, it seems that they're minded to bring in the same regulations. They had a consultation. The consultation ended in November 2022. Um, and I guess we'll wait and see what they say. Although my completely you know, non-expert opinion on this is that they're likely to just kind of lift the EU rules directly, is, is my sense. I don't know. Um, but anyway, what I wanted then to talk about today and like I use this opportunity today to, to talk about to you as I hand you all on my own was um, was to talk about tattoo inks, really, and talk about the history of tattoo inks, talk about some of the um, different things that have been used for tattoo inks over time, how different um, pigments have been introduced into tattooing uh, over the century or so, 150 years or so since coloured really kind of multicolored tattooing has really existed um, and talk a bit about the kind of science, I suppose, of how tattoo inks work and, and what the um, risk profiles and what the risk, uh, you know, what the current evidence, scientific evidence shows about actually the toxicity of various pigments, whether or not this EU ban is based on, on good science, because as we'll talk about, there's some dispute about that. So I guess like we'll start off for the first place to start. It's like, you know, how does tattooing work like how does that ink uh, stay in your skin because that's the, the first th thing to realize both on you know how the chemicals uh, might affect you in a toxicity uh, way and also you know what some of the risks might be so basically the way tattooing works um, the reason tattooing is so magical and permanent in your skin uh, is due to, your, due to your immune system I guess like you probably heard you know as a kid or in your biology lessons at school that every single cell of our body is renewed on a certain cycle and so you know given that like how is it that tattoos are permanent well basically what happens is when you put a um 
uh, a particle of an of a of a substance that your body can't degrade into your skin. Uh, your immune system, well, to your body in general, general, I suppose, your immune system kicks in and tries to, you know, remove the object from you. It's like if you get a splinter or whatever, your body will try and remove it. In particular, in your skin, you have three layers of skin, right? And the middle layer of your skin, the, the dermal layer, so you've got the epidermis, the dermis, and the subdermis. The dermis, that middle layer of skin, um, is particularly good for um, holding tattoo ink because... What happens is you insert the pigment particles into the right layer of skin. Your body's immune system kicks in during the healing process and your uh, immune system, some cells that are basically called them called macrophages um, will encompass, kind of eat up that particle. And if, it, if it's too big to flush out through your immune system, through your lymphatic system, through your lymph nodes, um, your body will basically just encompass it so that it's, you know, in effect, sealed off from the rest of your body and can't cause you any more problems. Um, when those cells, as all cells in our bodies, die, um, that pigment particle will be released back into the skin and a new immune cell will come and encompass it again. So that's basically why tattoos blur a little bit over time. Um, and the reason that that middle layer in particular is good for... Um, holding tattoos is because the regeneration cycle is not not too quick basically your your um epidermal cells your skin cells on the top of your layer of your skin basically regenerate much more quickly and so a tattoo in that layer will, will basically fade or even disappear very very quickly a lot of that kind of micro pigmentation um permanent or semi-permanent makeup is done very shallowly because it's um, meant, not meant to last very long if you hit the right layer that tattoo will basically stay with a slight bit of blurring essentially forever. Um, I want to read you um, a quote actually from um, this book. It's really, if you're interested in this subject, it's the best book I think in recent years, um, probably not even recent, probably ever on this topic. It's by a, um, a scientist called Michelle Miranda, who's a um, forensic criminologist actually, and she wrote a book called Forensic Analysis of Tattoos and Tattoo Ink. Um, she works for the New York Police Department and um, you know, she wanted to, you know, sort of really, you know, use forensic science to to try and figure out where particular tattoos were made, what kind of ink was used, um, et cetera, et cetera. So it's the best kind of scientific uh, book on the history, or, or sorry, on the um, uh, on the science of tattoo uh, inks in particular. Uh, but the first chapter is about basically how tattoos work in the skin. And she cites actually an article uh, from 1991, uh, and I'll read this in, um, in detail. This is from an author called Sperry. The needle penetrates through the epidermis and just into the papillary and reticular dermis, but no deeper. This depth is between one and two millimetres. During the tattoo process, the pigment is deposited along the length of the needle track throughout the epidermis, and any superficial dermal layers, but only the pigment left within the dermis will permanently remain making the final tattoo. As the tissue heals, the superficial epidermal layers peel away, leaving behind the deeper regenerative basal epidermal layers. Eventually, by sloughing cellular layers during healing, all the pigmented layers of the epidermis are removed, with the exception of the dermis. Over time, the epidermis regenerates and the epidermal layers grow back to their usual thickness over the pigmented dermal layer. Consequently, the body will react to foreign pigment particles that have been introduced. 
the pigment particles are assimilated by dermal macrophages, which slowly carry them to the regional lymphatics and thus to the corresponding draining lymph nodes. The macrophages also engulf, engulf pigment granules and then migrate short distances within the dermis, in which the majority of pigments will be assimilated by the macrophages, with unassimilated pigment granules remaining within dermal loose fibrous connective tissue between collagen bundles. The effects of healing exhibited by the diffusion of light by the reformed epidermal layers and subsequent pigment migration result in a tattoo that appears smooth, diffuse and hazy. As such, an individual examining a tattoo that has healed and aged will often describe the tattoo as appearing faded. So that's the kind of more technical version of, of what I just explained. And you can, I, I guess, immediately start to understand why tattoo inks might be might cause problems for your body if they are um you know if they are toxic in various ways so we, we know for example um that tattoos can cause allergic reactions and particular pigments are more um likely to cause allergic reactions than others um red pigments in particular seem to be quite um uh, generative of uh of allergic reactions um and also because they sit in your body for a long time there is potentially at least a risk that um, they can cause long-term um, damage or injury or, or cancer even. So that's basically what the European Union has been concerned about. Um, there's been little regulation actually on tattoo inks. Um, and over the years, as tattoo ink manufacturers become more industrialized, um, as tattoo ink in, as manufacturers become you know, much more of a big business, um, I think the EU have become more more worried about potential uh, risk profiles. Now, tattoo artists themselves, I think, um, will tell you that I think in general they are worried about things other than tattoo ink, you know, um, or other things that other things than the toxicity of particular chemicals in those inks. I think, for example, bacterial infection through um, contamination of ink is a much more present and pressing issue um, than the composition of tattoo inks themselves. Um, but nevertheless, you know, I think this is something which, uh, you know, it, it was sort of inevitable eventually. So the genesis for these regulations in the EU came from a more generalized set of rules about chemicals that are allowed to be used on the body, not just for tattooing, but also for things like hair dye. And as such, I think a lot of the toxicity um, profiles have been um, analyzed on the basis of things sitting on the outside layer of the skin, on the epidermal layer, um, when used as hair dye or when used as body paint or as makeup, rather than as things that are inserted into your body that are then encapsulated by your immune system. And unfortunately, um, the testing and the, certainly the epidemiology, the long-term scientific studies haven't really taken into account those differences. And we've ended up with a bit of a blanket um, set of provisions that where something is not approved for use um, as a hair dye or as a makeup, it's also not approved for use as a tattoo pigment. Um, the other thing to say on that before I move on um, to talk about some more of the historical stuff here and, and, and what tattoo pigments actually are is to say that um, there's not been a lot of testing on any of these substances, particularly for tattooing. And some of the pigments, particularly two pigments, um, uh, one of which is called Blue 15-3 and the other which is called Green 7, um, which are real like base pigments for a lot of other colours that they, they are by some estimates in about 40% of tattoo inks used in, in Europe. 
um, actually were prohibited not because they were definitely toxic, but because the manufacturers hadn't proved evidence to show that they weren't toxic. A lot of the regulation here is based on the fact that no safety data has been provided and therefore, you know, the presumption is it's not safe until proven otherwise. That's a, a general regulatory approach that the EU and the UK, I suppose, as well, has taken to all kinds of other things. You have to prove it's safe before you can use it, rather than using it, waiting for stuff to go wrong, um, and then you know having to withdraw it from the market. There's this kind of proactive pre-clearance process. So there was some work, you know, back in um, in 2020 when these bans were first being mooted. Um, by the German Institute for um, Federal Risk Assessment, the um, BFR, Bundesinstitut für Risikobewertung. Um, and they basically said about these two pigments, um, blue 15.3 and uh, green 7, um, that there were some concerns that certain hair dyes could cause bladder cancer. So the EU Commission launched a programme in which all hair dyes were to be assessed by the European Commission's Scientific Committee on Consumer Safety. As a result of this activity, the two pigments, Blue 15.3 and Green 7, were added to the list of prohibited substances and thus banned from use in hair dyes. However, this listing of both pigments is not based on negative health risk assessment, but instead on the fact that no dossiers have been submitted uh, by the pigment manufacturers. Manufacturers could apply to have their substances removed from this annex of the cosmetics regulation, which would enable their use in hair dyes. This would require the submission of appropriate data to clarify suspicions about the substance's hazardous proper properties. Um, and actually then the BFR did their own testing and... Um, uh, basically said, as far as we're concerned, the health risk data for both pigments um, is incomplete. The available data should be improved for both pigments. Currently available data only show a comparatively low level of toxicity for both substances. And despite that, um, for coming from the German risk assessment, those pigments actually were um, banned. Uh, there's there's a big, a, a big ongoing petition um, you can find them on Instagram, save the pigments. Um, and, you know, they also put a specific petition through to the European Union about these two pigments in particular. Um, but essentially, um, suppliers have been um, basically like frantically seeking to reformulate the, their, their pigments because um, you know, the petition wasn't successful. So um, I also recommend people have a look and I've, I've been really grateful to read this uh, the website of Nordic Tattoo Supplies who have been really hot on this um who have been really really um trying to design new inks um and ensure that they are certified um for use in the European Union both inks that they're manufacturing and inks that they're importing from the United States um so that's kind of where we're at um I should also say uh the current data on um particularly the kind of cost and carcinogenicity of tattoo inks is quite limited. There actually is some preliminary sense that maybe some ta some tattoo pigments increase slightly the risk of cancer, although um, there was a review back in 2012, um, which was done um, uh, essentially by some, some cancer um, scientists, and they, um, this was published in the journal, uh, let me get this right, the, the, the journal Lancet Oncology. So big, mainstream, serious cancer um, journal 10 years ago. 
um, in 2012 by uh, lead author Nicholas Kluger. And that paper basically said, quote, we extensively reviewed the literature and found 50 cases of skin cancer on tattoos, 23 cases of squamous cell carcinoma and keratocanthoma, 16 cases of melanoma and 11 cases of basal cell carcinoma. Um, the number of skin cancers arising in tattoos is seemingly low, and thus this association has to be considered as coincidental. So basically, you know, millions and millions of people uh, get tattooed um, and have been getting tattooed for a long time. Um, however, as they say, in the past 40 years, roughly 50 cases of malignant melanoma, basal cell carcinoma and uh, squamous cell carcinoma associated with tattoos have been resolved reported so only kind of this was 10 years ago but only 40 cases specifically reported um and you know obviously millions and millions and millions of people getting tattooed so this is just as far as they're concerned in that last review basically coincidental there's no um clear relationship um there was also a review in a in the journal of cancer epidemiology more recently uh in 2020 and in fact i think the um, pressure from these European Union regulations has increased the interest in this research. But um, essentially that review um, says that, yeah, there is some evidence of toxicological hazard, um, but epidemiological work on the safety of tattoo inks and systemic diseases, including cancer, is only starting now. Um, they also say in humans, the exposure and long-term effects of tattoo inks after subcutaneous administration are not known since potential health effects of tattooing remained unrecognised. Um, ironically as well, in looking through this, this um, data, I did also find some <laughs> research which suggested that having black tattoos um, might actually prevent you getting skin cancer uh, in mice at least. Um, Black tattooed mice, which is pretty metal, isn't it? Um, black tattooed mice were um, much less likely to uh, succumb to skin cancer. So, you know, pros and cons there. Um, I think basically don't worry, essentially. And as long as you're getting tattooed from a, you know, by a, um, a, a good tattoo artist using a fresh pot of ink, you haven't really got a lot to worry about. People have been tattooing themselves for millions of you know, not millions of years thousands of years potentially tens of thousands of years and um you know uh, it seems that the human body is pretty resilient so on that right let's talk about in that case like that on the thousands of years what is the history of, of tattoo inks well um essentially uh, most really really kind of historic tattoo was black almost exclusively um and those inks were primarily made from some form of carbon. So from carbon black, basically, a kind of um, pigment derived from ash or soot. This is, yeah, basically used um, in printer ink right up until the middle of the 19th century. It was used um, as uh, ink in for paint. It was generally a kind of um, all-purpose black pigment. Uh, Otzi the Iceman, um, the oldest known preserved tattooed uh, specimen that we have from five and a half thousand years ago, his tattoos appear to be made from basically kind of carbon, uh, soot, and also perhaps from um, from ash. 
uh, one of the earliest tattooing recipes we have um, from the 6th century, uh, this Greek writer called Iletus basically says um, about uh, ink in Egypt. So ink is described from being made, tattooing made from Egyptian pine wood, corroded, burned bronze or brass, gall and vitriol. So the kind of carrier medium is also, you know, what makes ink. It's pigment in a suspension. So gall there is basically like, you know, bile from a, a gallbladder. Um, and once mixed and ground into powder, mixed with water and leek juice. Um, in some places in the world, particularly in the Pacific, actually, um, ink was made from nuts. So in Samoa, they use llama nuts, um, llama nuts in coconut baskets, bake them in underground ovens, crack the nuts with stones and thread them together as they do when they make a torch. They light the torch inside a hearth. The torch emits a black oily smoke which settles the soot on the stone. The Samoans scrape the soot onto a banana leaf and then store it in a coconut shell. That's a quote from uh, Balak and Cox, 1996. Um, so really contemporary black pigments haven't changed a lot actually like most contemporary black tattoo pigments are also um very roughly of this same kind of type um the other color that we find in ancient tattooing is is red um much much rarer but um occasionally we find red tattooing and in um pre-Meiji contact or certainly pre-20th century Japanese tattooing, we really find almost exclusively black and red. So the red um, comes from um, uh, either from animal sources, from um, you know, insects, for example, but primarily from what uh, a mineral pigment called cinnabar, mercury sulfide. Um, pretty nasty, <laughs> actually, kind of bad for your that is pretty bad for your body pretty toxic um we know um from some really early um how to tattoo guides even in the professional era in britain those red inks you know cinnabars were being suggested in the uh, 1830s um as uh, this is from um, al Parry's book um as early as 1835, here as well as abroad, a mixture, this is in the United States, as well as abroad, a mixture of cinnabar and red lead was used to bring the colour to the cheek in certain cases of superficial birthmarks. After the birthmarks were eliminated by surgery, the middle of the peak cheek was tattooed at a delicate pink. So most of that um, permanent makeup tattooing was, uh, was a kind of red mercury cinnabar pigment. Until like... Yeah, the modern period. That's that's basically it, right? We've got um, we've got blacks and reds in the nineteenth century. Tattooing starts to become modern. So it starts starts to become more kind of commercialized, and that drives this desire for coloured tattooings. So um, the main uh, driver of this in the UK uh, is my boy Sutherland Macdonald. Sutherland Macdonald uh, described essentially uh, you know, developing colours. Uh, from the uh, early part of the 20th century or late part of the 19th century uh, in an article 
It's described as, quote, um, he developed new colours from soluble minerals, ultramarine for blues, burnt sienna for browns, cuttlefish for blacks. Actually, that would probably come out a bit more brown in the skin. Cinnabar for red and a secret recipe of his own devising for green ink derived from a green stone. Only a good non-toxic yellow um, eluded him. In the search for yellow ink, after having tested a particular formula on himself, he was forced to cut chinks, chunks out of his arm to alleviate the toxic reaction. <laughs> Um, and actually, in these adverts from the 19th century uh, in London, you, you see a kind of arms race, right? Where, like, it will begin with, like, four colours, tattooing in four colours, tattooing in five colours, tattooing in seven colours, and then very quickly tattooing in all colours. The other really interesting innovation here, um, sort of famously, I suppose, is, um, is purple ink. So Sailor Jerry... Uh, again, kind of legend of the industry. Um, he takes credit for introducing um, purple tattooing ink to the world and particularly to the Japanese. So as we know, Taylor Jerry's working in Hawaii, uh, very interested and very influential in the kind of uh, revival of Japanese tattooing in the um, middle, sort of first decades of the 20th century. And... Um, in a few letters to Ed Hardy from the 70s, he, he sort of talks about this. So May the 10th, 1971, Sailor Jerry says, we have the advantage of colour over the Japs. Uh, pardon the historic language there. We still overlook the fact that black can be even more smashing than colour when shaded out. They have to work it as they don't have colour. We pass it because we have colour. I don't think we're missing the boat. And in fact, yeah, it is trade or contact with European tattooing uh, in this late 19th, early 20th century period, which brings colour into Japanese tattooing other than the black and the red. Um, and then uh, this plea sort of begins a conversation. Ed and, Ed and uh, uh, Norman, Colin, Sailor Jerry are having this conversation. Um, the letters are published in Ed's book, um, American Tattoo Master. Really, really great kind of collection of letters between the two guys. And in that, um, he also says... Uh, about um, colours. So he says, um, Flatelo green and white was my discovery. I gave it to Pop Eddie and, and Joe Lieber and now everyone uses it as a standard procedure. I brought out purple and so far, damn few have that and that's the way it should be. Anyone can get good colour, but damn few can get it in and that's where we hold the edge and have to keep it. When I put a job on next to a grey and pink Tuttle special, <laughs> um, I reload in the colour to show them up for what they are. I don't knock the work or the tattooer, just put on the work that makes even the blind customer realise he's been fucked over, but good. Um, Ed Hardy didn't like uh, Lyle Tuttle. Sorry, um, Ed Hardy did like Lyle Tuttle. Sailor Jerry didn't like Lyle Tuttle. In fact, Ed finds it quite funny because he's he's quite a fan and confidant of Tuttle, but um, Jerry really doesn't, <laughs> doesn't like Lyle Tuttle at all. Um... Hey, are you enjoying the show? If you really like Beneath the Skin and you want to help support us, you can do so on Patreon. For little as five quid a month, you can help make this show possible, help us buy research materials. So if you like the show and you want to support us, consider kicking us a few quid a month. 
and you'll get everything from bonus episodes to Q&As, and you can even vote on what tattoo I'll get when we reach a certain subscriber count. Matt, have you got anything to say? You should really definitely uh, fund the Patreon because tattoo history is massive, right? Deep, wide, complicated. We're covering some big hit topics on the main feed, but on the Patreon subscriber-only feed, we'll be getting into some really more interesting niche deep topics you don't want to miss out on and honestly the chance to kind of decide what thomas gets on his body is probably just a once in a lifetime opportunity subscribe chuck us a few quid don't miss out on the chance to ruin thomas's body forever everyone knows that tattoo aftercare is one of the most important steps in getting a new tattoo we all want our fresh new tattoos to heal as easily and hassle-free as possible so we can show them off to the world. That's why Sanoderm's here to help. Driven by science and innovation, Sanoderm products have been thoroughly tested and used by doctors and tattoo artists alike for over 10 years. Sanoderm brings cutting-edge technology to make your tattoo healing process a breeze. No more messing around with cleaning and plastic every few hours with Sanoderm's amazing range of aftercare products. I personally have used Sanoderm to heal my tattoos in the past, and they made what used to be a daily process of setting reminders on my phone to clean and rewrap my tattoo into a one-step process. Their medical-grade products include aftercare balms, soaps, and my favourite, their second skin aftercare bandages. Sanoderm's tattoo bandages are designed to be waterproof, breathable, and keep your new tattoo protected from whatever the elements can throw at it so you can get on with your day worry-free and confident your new tattoo will look vibrant and will heal faster. Plus, their products are all natural and ethically sourced, so you can take comfort in knowing that you're healing your tattoos with nature's finest ingredients. So next time you're in an artist's chair, why not try Sanoderm, healing your tattoos the modern way so you can get on with your day. Check out the link in the description of this episode for discounts on a range of Sanoderm products or for more information. Jerry actually kind of credits working with a guy called Bob Palm, um, who was a, a tattooist who also had a, a major in, in chemistry, studied chemistry at Columbia University, um, basically as, as you know, also one of the key kind of collaborators on this. Ed Hardy in particular actually refers to Bob Palm's collaboration with Sailor Jerry on, on things like this purple pigment. Um, and yeah, it's it's super interesting to think about, you know, the kind of, intersection i guess between kind of science uh artistry and kind of like lunacy right like like with mcdonald lots of these pigments if you were trying them out for the first time as a tattoo you'd have to kind of try them out on your own skin and um yeah jerry also kind of writes to ed this is a great story so um he says uh none of these things should ever be tried out on anybody anybody but yourself i had a patch of violet on my leg that raised hell for three years i got a sample of hot booster with bright chroma that should be anything we hit yet we'll stick it in my leg and give you a report on the reaction damn these dark reds they just die in the skin it don't have the chroma to send up against light but i think i've got a good one then later on he follows up quote red spot on my leg healing clean no irritation so if it stays in and holds its chroma it'll be better than our present booster um so yeah, like basically trying out these kind of things, seeing whether they heal, seeing how they react to sunlight, seeing if they, seeing if they, what they look like, um, seeing if actually they kind of settle down in the skin. 
this is something which, yeah, is like, you know, part science, part art, and, and part kind of craziness. You've just got to be willing to kind of slam it, <laughs> slam it in there and see what happens. Um, and I think, yeah, like, we've really got, like, artists like Sailor Jerry and, and, and you know, even, like, earlier um, innovators like McDonald or, like, Armand Dietzel, who was also kind of experimenting with yellows to, to really, you know, to really thank for, for, for really trying to push forward the, the craft and the art of tattooing. The other thing I guess it's worth saying at this point is that, um, bec- and sort of is alluded to, I guess, in those Sailor Jerry letters is that once you had a good recipe, <laughs> you kind of keep it to yourself or you'd, you know, you'd share it judiciously amongst people that you liked. Like a lot of the early days of tattooing was about, you know, networking and about kind of secrets and and finding a good recipe finding a good formula for a particular color or or a good um supplier of a particular pigment was one of the things that like good tattooers would keep to themselves right would kind of um you know would 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 really kind of be a a real i don't know mark of quality a mark of, of particularity yeah like people like zeiss would uh, in their kind of how to tattoo kits would would give you instructions perhaps on how to make some of the inks and some advice on how to make some particular colors but again as ed hardy says right quote um eight colors were considered a full palette only a few shops in the world offered that you had to sleuth around to get the pigments the tattoo suppliers had some okay stuff but you really had to contact pigment manufacturers if you said to them you were using it to, to tattoo they wouldn't sell it to you so you had to lie to them um and so, yeah, like this becomes, and John Wright has got a, a bit about this in his book as well, about George Bircher, like, sorry, about Almond Diesel. Like there's a, there's a real, you know, the colors you had in the early part of the, the, the professional industry was like a real mark of, you know, how good a tattoo you were, how credible you were, how kind of, um, you know, just how committed and serious you were about what you were doing, I suppose, right? Essentially, these guys were making their own pigments. So now Tattoo Ink is pretty much exclusively ready mixed. I know that um, I think uh, Lal Hardy said on his Instagram uh, this week that essentially like all, um, you know, all of the suppliers of, 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 of um, powdered pigments have, have now disappeared and you can only buy pre-mixed. Um, so essentially you, you buy these powder pigments um either from specialist tattoo suppliers or, or earlier, actually just from the same people that sold powder pigments to, to artists, to painters. There's a very famous shop in London called Cornelius Sons, and everyone from George Burchett to Jesse Knight went to that, uh, went to that um, uh, shop. It was on Great Russell Street, still there actually, this great, great kind of pigment shop where you go and buy powdered pigments um, and then mix them up into tattooing. Um, mix them with... Uh, potentially vodka actually lal says on his instagram this week um we used to get color powder mixed with listerine vodka rose water even drops of washing up liquid um and he cites also lal cites an amazing um uh, letter on his instagram this week from a guy called uh ted boswell who developed uh, a coral pink so 
uh, in the advert for this, Boswell says, For many years, both suppliers and artists alike have tried to find a good pink tattoo colour. Today, a few ghastly shades have been tried and discontinued. Most artists still mix red and white to obtain pink, and as you may be aware, it's far from satisfactory to both tattoo artist and customer making and using pink in this way. I have now, at no small cost, again engaged my colour consultant to make up what might be the first pink, um, a, a finest pink available for use in tattooing. I've called it coral pink um and yeah lao um on his instagram this week talked very very lyrically about buying supplies from ted um back in the 1980s you know then we kind of get off to the races now now we have mass produced um tattoo inks and um again i really recommend if you're interested in the kind of nerdy hyper detail of this get michelle miranda's book um because she she does you know literally goes into um detail of the chemical analysis of every single color um the spectroscopy the x-ray fluorescence the you know all of the kind of very specific um color ranges that you can get in, in modern tattooing um and you know to uh to really really push this forward we're now in you know complete kind of contemporary material science trying to make you know get the right mix of pigment biocompatibility and kind of ease of use i suppose in the skin um we i think it also remains to be seen you know what effect this band has on what tattoos look like i'm sure um you know it was sort of dumped on suppliers very quickly this these rules but they seem to have adapted very very quickly i want to finish like this conversation with two you know, two base, uh, sorry, three innovations. And there's not been a huge amount of innovation, I suppose, um, really, you know, in, you know, in basically we're still putting pigment particles into carrier liquids into the skin. Um, various different artists are kind of using different, uh, you know, different source pigments, but we're ending up with more or less the same thing. There are three, I think, exceptions to that. One is the brief um, trend for like glow in the dark uh, tattoos. Um, so there was a brief moment uh, in the nineties, right? So these these pigments, which are um, which are basically kind of fluorescent, you will shine light on them and they they literally glow in the dark, um, and some tattooers were starting to develop those or, or, or play with them back in the 90s. Um, and they were using pigments with phosphorus in them. So phosphorus, again, not very good for your skin, would, would cause... Um, would cause itching, would cause irritation, would not heal very well. Um, you know, putting it under black light, black light and it would glow. Really, really not, not a good idea to put it into your skin. Um, however, you know, some recent, uh, some recent, um, ink manufacturers have started to develop new, uh, pigments, I would say, you know, which, which don't have those phos phosphorus in them, um, really isn't so, you know, isn't so uh, based on those really, really difficult and really horrible things. But I would say, it, you know, I would say avoid it basically because, you know, it, 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 there isn't a lot of data on tattoo inks generally. I think the glowing stuff is probably not a great idea. <laughs> Dear. Um, 
The the other um, perhaps you know innovation or or, or not in, I mean it's not really innovation I'm sure it's been going on forever but the other thing that people talk about a lot we talk about inks is um, is ash like kind of cremains um, using remains of loved ones into ink I know that tattooers generally many of them aren't really fans of that because. Uh, you certainly can't guarantee that it's sterilized. Um, you know, even if it's been through a crematorium, it's not necessarily going to have been kept in a way that's safe to put in the skin and, and not at risk of, of, of um, rejection. It's really hard to grind it up small enough to use as an ink, and it's difficult to tattoo with. I know that lots of tattooers um, really aren't fans of, of using cremains as tattoo ink, although, you know, some some will do it um, with, with a... With a um, you know, with the understanding that you understand what you're getting yourself in for, um, and then the third thing, and this is really really new, like literally kind of cutting edge right now, um, is this stuff developed by by Bang Bang, um, a tattoo artist based out tattoo uh, based out of New York, really really um, incredible. Uh, certainly the, his shop um, or shops in New York are just incredible in terms of the artists that work there. Like people, you know, people will have some, sometimes have things to say about the particular kind of, you know, way in which he presents himself as a celebrity tattooer. I think, you know, tattooers in the, in the West have forever have done, have done that. Or some of them have. Um, so I, I, I'm not critical of that at all. And in fact, I've helped, Full disclosure: Help Bang Bang and his shop on a few occasions with um, with visa applications for their artists, and it's it's clear that that is a shop about which you know, where they are serious about tattooing and they're serious about the art. The, the artists of work there are just incredible. Um, and if you know if celebrities are getting tattooed there, then at least they're going to get good tattoos. But Bang Bang has developed uh, or or has kind of you know funded the development of I suppose this this ink called Magic Ink, which. Um, is like photosensitive so um you basically fire um a particular wavelength of light at it um and it will change color um it was basically in initially developed well, the, the, the the pigment initially was developed as a scientific tool um for um for surgical procedures right the idea was that you could um uh, you could like, you know, alert yourself to overexposure of UV light. Um, it's developed by these these team of scientists at the Atlas Institute of the University of Colorado, right? Um, that they sort of want to create this kind of biomedical utility. But actually, um, Bang Bang realised you could do stuff with this cre creatively. So the first uh, bottle of it sold with an NFT. Again, you know, I'm, I'm skeptical of that as a as a thing, but you know, why not? Um, as a marketing gimmick, fine. Um, and basically what happens, um, and I think this is going to be, we're going to see more of it this year and we'll see how well it works and, and what it ends up looking like and how it ends up working in the skin. Um, you have a little, uh, you know, red tattoo, let's say. You shoot white light at it just with a flashlight um, and it disappears and then you can bring it back again with UV. So it's this particular kind of chemical property of the of the pigment particles that allow it to um, to change color um, with um, with particular wavelengths of light. Again, I don't think we're going to see big um, rollout of that. I think it's interesting um, creative project, 
And it's the kind of thing which, you know, everyone getting involved with that is going to kind of have a sense of, of what they're getting themselves in for. I don't think we're going to be seeing this in, in any kind of widespread adoption, not even as widespread as the, um, in my opinion, quite problematic and probably quite, um, you know, unpleasant in the skin, <laughs> UV tattooing from the 90s. So that's where we're at, you know. Um, in some senses, we've come a long way. You know, if you think about that, we've come a long way from from Otzi's tattooer sitting around a fire, um, grinding up bits of um, of charcoal. On the other end, you know, really, that's still more or less what contemporary tattoo pigments are. They are um, yeah, chemical compounds, um, mineral pigments by and large, in order to you know, which which are um, uh, which reflect light to create certain colours. And been a lot of human cry, a lot of worry, I think, about what the effect of this um, colour pigment ban in the EU would brought in. But it seems that um, the it seems that the, the the manufacturers have adapted. I mean, also, of course, like the regular or the enforcement of this is going to be another thing. Like, will ta- will the people in you know? investigating tattoo studios um understand even what they're looking at uh, given that i know from from colleagues of mine who work in tattoo shops in the uk uh, given that those you know many of those inspectors don't even know what an autoclave is um, i'd be surprised if there's a lot of real hardcore enforcement of this but nevertheless it seems like the industry is adapting and in fact potentially even um the uh if the man, if the big manufacturers, the big kind of industrial manufacturers of tattoo pigments wanted to, they could probably do safety tests and get these off the annex anyway. Um, yeah, and we'll see what happens in the UK, right? As I said, the consultation ended in November. I guess we'll hear um, probably in the spring to what degree these rules are going to be rolled in. And and also, you know, um, at the end of the day, although there are plenty of other things, I think if we were serious about the safety of tattooing for the public, we'd be worried about before the composition of pigments, things like, um, you know, home tattooing, reuse of needles by home tattooers, the availability of tattoo machines, cheap tattoo machines on Amazon. Um, as I said, kind of risk of bacterial infection, uh, which is much more, uh, much more straightforward and, and obvious than long-term cancer cancer risks from pigment mineral pigment um if we were serious about that i think regulation would look quite different but at the end of the day we all want tattooing to be safe we all want tattooing to be healthy we, we don't want to put ourselves at risk and um i don't think the eu handled this very well um it's certainly kind of clumsy it's a bit of a hammer to crack a nut it assumes that keeping chemicals on the skin is the same as putting them in the skin, etc. But I think we should be, you know, um, at least happy that at some level someone's now paying attention to to to, to the safety of tattooing. Um, the last thing to say on this actually is um, about lasering. So one of the other um, causes for I think the kind of urgency of this is uh, and the confounding factors is. If these pigments are safe while they're in the skin, in in those macrophages, are they safe when they are removed? And with the increasing popularity of tattoo removal through laser, um, this also becomes a bit more of a pressing issue. So the way lasering works is it bursts those macrophages apart. It breaks down those pigment particles to small enough that they can be removed by your immune system and your immune system can flush them out. It's why, as we mentioned on one of our previous episodes, 
it is very possible to, to die from lasering if you have too much of it in one go because your immune system can get overwhelmed. Um, and actually, it may be the case that whilst certain pigments are safe in your skin, they may not be safe um, in smaller part particulate form running through your immune system. And so, again, perhaps with the increase of laser um, technology, this is going to be something which you know um, we, we should get, get out ahead of. So watch this space um i think if you're a tattoo artist you'll know more about this already because you particularly if you're in the eu because you'll have been having to deal with it um pay attention to people at nordic tattoo suppliers who are dealing with it you know on a manufacturing and importation point of view uh, and those of you that are in the uk um yeah keep your eye on the health and safety executive uh, website uh it's um it's called uh, uk reach uh, restric restriction proposals, substances and groups of substances that pose a risk to human health if they're present in tattoo inks and permanent makeup. Um, it's on the Health and, health and Safety Executive website, hse.gov.uk. Um, keep an eye on that because I think we'll, we'll be getting the results of that probably in the spring. So, um, yeah, let's, in the meantime, stay safe, stay healthy, have a happy Christmas. Um, I hope this was interesting, uh, both historically and as a sort of, you know, breaking news item. And, um, yeah, thanks everyone to listening. Thanks to our patrons. Um, we're going to suspend uh, our um, offer of sending out free copies of the book at the top tier because I'm not going to post any until mid-January. I'm off on my honeymoon. Those of you that have subscribed to our £15 tier um, will already have been sent your copy of Painted People. Um, so that will be in the post. I think we're up to date with that um, for everyone that's kindly, kindly subscribed. And... Um, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll we'll resume that. Let you know in mid January. Uh, we've got some episodes in the pipeline to come out before then, and uh, we'll be back to our regular schedule. So thank you so so much. Thank you again to Tom for editing this. Um, have a lovely Christmas. Stay well. Stay colourful, and I'll um, see you all in the new year. Cheers. Bye bye.